0: Oh well, hello once again. You are tuned into the latest instalment of Which Car Weekly, unless, of course, you're not. Uh, if you are, for example, listening at some point in the distant future, like 2060, then it's very likely this is not repeat, not the latest edition of Which Car Weekly. In the ensuing years, it's likely I have died. Uh, Andy is probably in prison again, and Tony is probably God or something by now. Before that, let's discuss all of the current topics that have been happening. Hot things in the automotive industry. Automotive industry, is that what I said? I did the second time. That's automotive. More or less, more or less. Close enough. My name is Daniel Gardner, and as I've already said, I am joined by two very special beings indeed. The first is Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine, Andrew Enright. Bongarino. <laughs> Whatever that means, <laughs> and the second is, I'm very happy to welcome back to our little gathering, uh, senior writer, journalist at which car, Tony the Cane Toad O'Kane. Good day, good day. Thanks so much for being back, chaps. Uh, it's you're here for very good reason, not just your radiant personalities and good looks. Uh, we have been up to all kinds of things uh, around the world um on this week's chat volkswagen kills a bug future tech from a rubber authority and when press launches go bad kicking things off this week it was another sad week in many respects we had to bid farewell to another motoring icon this time it was the volkswagen beetle after a staggering 80 plus years uh, and squillions of generations the volkswagen beetle finally rolled off the production line for the last time in mexico the, the last place it's actually made in the world Uh, And it's, frankly, you know, you have to, you have to, whether you love or hate that car, you have to pay your respects and say it did a lot of good things in its lifetime, except and he disagrees because <laughs> he hates the car. Um,
1: and he's prejudiced against old cars, though. I think people should know this. He's and a, Nazis. And uh, yeah, and Nazis. But the Beetle wasn't a Nazi. It was just <laughs> it was created by Nazis. That's all. You have to make the distinction. You know. Okay. You know, it's, and you can't choose your parents. That's what I'm saying.
0: The purpose mm. of Witch Car Weekly is to come up with slightly irreverent content. So allow me to be the <laughs> one that says not everything the Nazis did was bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, I'm it's, so sorry. The, the, the one thing, the one thing, was the principle of the Volkswagen Beetle. It was, Tony, the name Volkswagen translates to... Yeah, people's car. Great. Volkswagen. So- and, and the principle is good, it's noble, and it worked because they sold 21.5 million Beetles. If you include the new Beetle, in inverted commas, it was over 23 million. So it was the car that was accessible to everyone. Hmm. And the reason for that is because it was relatively affordable, it was relatively simple, it was nice to drive, and it was practical for the day as well. Hmm. Job done. Exactly. So why did they kill it then? Well,
1: I think economic reality and, and that kind of car is no longer as useful as it once was. uh, It just became a niche thing. It was a a fashion uh, accessory, more than a car, by the end of it.
0: Yeah, it was a bit of a folly, wasn't it? It certainly wasn't the practical or, for that matter, affordable thing anymore. Because we call that the Golf now. Well, exactly, on which that was based. It was just sort of an expensive Golf that looked a bit different. People still did buy it, it was still selling, but just not to the degree that it had done in its heyday, which was many, many years ago. But really, honestly, there is a deeper, darker reason
2: for why they discontinued the Beatles. Oh, so are we going to get a good conspiracy theory here?
0: Yeah, please, absolutely. And, and as always, if you're listening and you completely disagree with any of the theories we are floating on car Weekly, then feel free to get in touch. Witchcar.com.au, you'll find all our social media channels there. The real reason... It was the Illuminati, of course. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, from the Nazis to the Illuminati. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Um, This, sadly, still relates back to Volkswagen's diesel emissions scandal. Uh And with the uh, aftermath and the wake of that scandal, where, of course, they cheated in emissions testing, um, they have some big bills to pay, Mm. and they have a renewed focus on doing the right thing and clean uh, mobility. Now, to do that, they need cash. They have obviously put lots of work and effort in behind um, things like the IDR, their race car, which has conquered Pikes Peak, Goodwood, the Nürburgring. That's yeah. working really nicely, but that costs money. And so they had to look at a few cars in the range and say, what isn't really doing particularly well for us? The Sirocco was another one, the Beetle is another one, and they have they have given them the chop. Yeah. This so- is
1: a matter of timing, really, because... That Beetle was still on an old platform. It hadn't moved to the, the platform that's now under pretty much every Volkswagen, uh, at least a transverse engine once. And uh, it was, what, it's about six years old now? No, almost eight. Yeah, I it think. must be nearly. Almost eight years yeah. old, so it's past retirement.
0: So it's basically a previous generation Golf. So, you, yeah. so you, you, people who wanted the Beetle really did it because they were paying, they were be- honestly paying a premium for the looks alone. Because you were getting a technologically inferior car compared with the current Golf, so yes, it, you, you, people are quite willing to pay a premium for things that look nice, but I think even that one was reaching the limits of its possibility.
2: On, on a purely personal perspective, I have, I have a little soft spot for the what they called the new Beetle when it was launched. Because, uh, did you? Yeah, I got sent to the US by the Times, okay, and uh. The mission was to drive this beetle from coast to coast in the U.S. and back, and so I drove one from San Francisco to Miami and back in twelve days, and did seven and a half thousand kilometers in it. Um, got arrested at Area Fifty One, completely ruined the car in twelve days, and then handed it back to them. And, and so, yeah, I have this sort of a slightly nostalgic view of of the new beetle, a red one, a two-liter, with its. Uh, cream cloth seats completely stained by my sweaty indigo jeans <laughs>
1: this is amazing, did, oh, when, God. when you picked it up did it still have the little plastic flour in that vase yes like that? yeah it, it was, was it still there by the it, end of
2: the trip no it just stank of beef jerky and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and desperation you corrupted that poor car yes oh, yeah it. It, it was it was monstered
0: so we just before we came into the studio i said to Andy, have you got any? No, I think it was Tony who said. Have you got any stories? Have you got any things about the the Beatles? And Andy said, oh, I have got a couple. Yeah, it's <laughs> fair to say he had a he had a pretty good one. How on earth do you get arrested in Area Fifty? What
2: was it? Area Fifty One. Yeah, we um. We'd been told by a local at, uh, at the Little alien in Rachel um, <laughs> that, there were, that there was a back road that we could drive up a lot closer to Area 51 that wasn't publicised and all this. So off we go up this road in, in a beetle, myself and uh, my colleague Chaz, and uh, we get a fair way up this road and we get stopped by uh, security in a truck and they were very, very cross and they held, <laughs> they held us there for about 45 minutes and were going to take us to the jailhouse. Wow. Um, but we managed to persuade them that we were we were British and inept and clueless and lost. <laughs> and uh they then proceeded to show us all of the motion detectors and cameras and heat sensors that we'd driven past up this road whilst they sat in a control room and just laughed their heads off at these couple of idiots in a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, fantastic.
0: (laughs) Of all of the covert vehicles you could have chosen.
2: a red Beetle. (laughs) One that is specifically designed to stand out. Yeah. So don't try and drive to Area 51. It'll end badly for you.
1: That's that's good timing, actually, because I think right now across the internet, There is a little bit of a a grassroots campaign for people to uh, storm the area known as Area 51, uh, and, you know, with the logic being, they can't kill all of us. <laughs> and I think there's like a Facebook group with uh, 250,000 people on it. But, you know, I don't know. I've seen the kind of weapons that the U.S. military has at its disposal. I think 250,000 people is Yeah, it could handle nothing. a few. It could
0: handle a few. You know, hang on. Haven't people historically come up with a very similar idea? Let's all band together in a united cause, which may or may not kill a lot of us. But some of us will su- survive in the name of the cause. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a, a cult. Yeah. yeah. Usually it doesn't end, end well. No, no. okay. No. So we won't be subscribing to that, whether it be in a Beetle or any other car. <laughs> no, no, that's that's up to the individual. Um but then, the end of the Beetle, it is the end of an era. It's, I think it was it is am I right in saying it's the longest running nameplate in the automotive landscape? Eighty, I'd 80 say plus you'd, years. You'd have to be correct because it was continuous. Even though they, so the the key thing in, in its lifespan was in two thousand and three when the old beetle ended, but the new beetle was already in production and had been for many years. So there was an overlap of the two distinct models. So technically, the beetle was continuously produced.
1: Well, in terms of nameplate, though, when was it actually first referred to as the beetle officially? Because oh, it, it was true. the type
0: one. Of course, so it wasn't officially yeah. a Volkswagen Beetle. Well. It's a great question, and it's one we don't have the answer to. So.
1: <laughs> All the time to answer it.
0: No. Um, very quickly, though, uh, a note, a nod to the future. So, end of the Beetle, um, but this is, of course, the start of something new. We've lost one retro icon, but another one is in the wings waiting to emerge, and it's based on a concept Volkswagen revealed called the ID Buzz, which is obviously a hark back at the, the camper van. And they have said that there will be a production version of that car on its way and it will be pure electric, so it will be a very nice sort of serendipitous continuation of the Beetle, albeit a much more environmentally friendly version. Hmm. But it's another retro thing, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's obvious where they're going with it. Do we
2: like this retro thing? I'm I'm kind of in two minds about it. When it's done well, I think it's good, but there are so many lazy... Uh, yeah, Chrysler
1: PT Cruiser. <laughs>
2: what on earth is that? It's just
0: horrific.
1: It was a, a bizarre caricature of what old American cars look like. Yeah. It was just awful.
2: It was, but it was not, terrible. But it wasn't really going after one particular model, was it? No, it was, it? Just it was sort just of like
0: a, a patchwork Yeah, which approach. is just
2: unforgivably yeah. bad yeah when, when I got divorced um, my ex-wife went out and bought one of those to oh. purely to sully my name you know pe- oh, wow. people were, wow. asked, people were asking me she really married, knew how to get yeah, you yeah you. you've been married for <laughs> motoring journalists for all these years did she learn nothing you know <laughs> That oh, is fantastic. deeply
1: personal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose... It, it, I would take offense to it.
0: Does it... Re- yeah, What what's the value of having retro models in your lineup as a car brand? You've got the oh, Fiat no. 500, mm. Toyota's got the FJ Cruiser.
2: Um, well, there's
1: many, of course, a whole brand. Building there you that go, yeah.
2: Image. You know, you look at Lamborghini, they created that retro-styled mm. um, Miura, wasn't it? Mm. And they never launched it because purely because they said I mean, retro isn't actually yeah. what we want to do. Sometimes wow. it,
1: it can work, though. I, I think the Jeep Wrangler is an example where, you know, those retro cues of the original Jeeps have been integrated into a modern vehicle mm.
0: uh, sympathetically. At what point, though, does it, is, is it... Because the Wrangler has been continuously made since the original, effectively since the, the Willys Jeep, can you say it's a throwback? Because it's just evolved.
1: Hmm. Whereas yeah. the Beetle hmm.
0: is is the same thing, actually. Yeah, you can make that argument for a
2: Porsche nine eleven. Yeah, but you? the it's Fiat five hundred,
0: however, that's mm. a pure retro model because for many years they never made one.
2: So that's does do you have to have a that's gap true. for it to be? See, I like I like cars that are retro in execution, if not like styling. Like the Mazda MX five is probably an example. Of yeah. that. yeah. It, yeah. it casts back to cars like Lotus, Lotus Elan, but didn't slavishly Just ape the styling. Yeah, copy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Oh, it was... I was pretty close. <laughs> close Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it's a self-consciously retro thing, uh, I think yeah. that's when the problem
0: starts yeah. appearing. Well, whatever is around the corner from the retro revival school of thinking, the Beatle has a lot to answer for. <laughs> uh, Tony O'Kane, you have recently returned from a global mission. To Germany, yes. where you were with a brand called Continental, which if yes. you're listening to a car podcast and you don't know the, the name, then there's something awry. What were you doing there? And uh, tell us about your, your takeaways from the Continental Geek. Well, interest,
1: in- interestingly, this does kind of link into the, the Beetle thing, because uh, part of that trip, I visited Wolfsburg, ah. the factory that was originally built to build the Beetle. Um, It was built by Nazis, and the architecture kind of has that signature style of theirs. (laughs) um, Very austere. Um, But yeah, visited the old uh, Volkswagen factory, which is quite interesting. There's still um, shrapnel holes in the roof, (laughs) funnily enough, in the (laughs) factory floor. Yeah, they didn't patch them up, because they didn't need to, apparently. It it doesn't leak, so we'll just keep it. They've done that for a reason, though. Obviously, Obviously, you know, you would if you could. Remind the workers, you know. Bad. Yeah, exactly right. That's right. <laughs> Otherwise, the RAF will be overhead
2: <laughs> with a grand slam.
1: <laughs> Does that sound like a Lancaster to you? Uh, too soon? No. Never. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was there as a guest of Continental um, to have a look at their tech show. Every two years, they put together this uh, little expo of theirs to showcase their latest and greatest technology. And they have quite a bit because. Over here, we think of Continental as being a tire company, because that's the most visible part of their brand. It's mm, it's what's yeah. written on the sidewall. Um, however, that is actually a, a minor part of Continental's business. It's something like between 20 and 25%. Um, the bulk of what they earn their money from is manufacturing and selling components to car manufacturers, and these components are usually sensors. Um, right. Sensors that tell a car how far it is from another car, what the engine's doing, what the, the occupants are doing. There's like infotainment stuff as well. Sensors
0: for detecting intruders in sensitive military sites?
1: I'm not sure I'll have to <laughs> defer to Andy's uh, friends yeah. <laughs> for that one. Okay. Um, but mostly automotive. And uh, yeah, they had a bunch of interesting stuff this year across a pretty broad spectrum of uh, automotive technology.
0: Right. Including...
1: Well, where do, where do we start? They had uh, hybridization. They had like 48-volt mild hybrid stuff that you could uh, conceivably bolt onto an existing engine and turn it from a combustion engine into a pretty efficient hybrid engine that you could drive for like 30 kilometers, no problem, just on electric power. Right. Uh, that was quite nifty. They, they had that fitted to a, an old Ford Focus, and it, it actually drove pretty well. Um Mm. Wow, more retro stuff. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. You could transform an existing car into something that's quite advanced. Uh, that was cool. They had a whole lot of uh, connectivity stuff in terms of enabling cars to communicate with infrastructure, by which I mean um, street lights. Right,
0: narrow uh, into the good gear. Okay, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, they had this connected infrastructure display where they had uh, traffic signals and stuff and they would communicate to cars and to a central server about what is going on at that, that particular... Um, thing and, and beyond just, you know, is a pedestrian crossing, are the, are the lights green, um, but how much traffic is going through, supplying all this data so that, you know, the theory is that cities would use that to then make more efficient roads. Right. Um, and also, cars would be able to use that data to stay safe, because if there's a, a car coming and there's a pedestrian illegally crossing that you can't see because it's behind traffic, this infrastructure could, in theory, alert your car and your car would then tell you hey slow down there's something you can't see that you're about to hit uh, that is the whole idea behind the safety stuff um, the other side of it is that i asked the question could you use all this stuff for um, uh, law enforcement reasons and uh, particularly <laughs> speed cameras and they said well it depends on the client's wishes so that's uh, not a no no it's not a no uh, continental's focus is on the safety angle of and course. the efficiency angle but, of course, they are a supplier. And if the client they're supplying to wants them to build in a, a speed detection capability, it's within the realm of the technology to do it. And it's not just street like intersections. They have stuff that can bolt onto um, lamp posts just along the road just to sort of have a constant monitoring of even things like parking spaces. So it could beam that information on if there's a pe- vacant parking spot on okay, the street cool. to your yeah. car. Uh, that kind of thing, but again, you know, it could so, sort of uh, monitor your car and tell the government when you're speeding, being a naughty boy. So
2: theoretically, you could be in an old shed with no electronics at all, something like a, a Ford AU Falcon or something, a Ford just, A-U Falcon, yep, yeah, just, just for a just, example, one of Annie's <laughs> favourite cars, yeah, all I, I, I love cars. cars um, of all time, Australia's favourite cars, and you could be speeding, and mm-hmm. other cars could you into the place effectively essentially yeah
1: Yeah, uh it's yeah we'll see where it goes (laughs) it's (laughs) like a really high high tech
0: north korea a
1: little bit a little bit police state but yeah it's not conti's (laughs) intention but it could be purpose for that Mm. so watch out that's all we need
0: Mm. you got any better news out of the trip (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, more Big Brother stuff? No, uh, they talked about the tyre of the future. All um, oh, right, yes. What's yeah. that? Of, of course, tyres are yellow or pink. No, I'm afraid it's still black and it's no. very much round. No. <laughs> does it have air in it? It does still have air in no, it.
0: It's the same.
1: It's the funny thing. They keep, you know, people keep thinking that we'll have this airless tyre because that's been a an idea that's been thrown around for a long time. But they're like, well, nothing does the job better than air. You deliver a, a better ride, better handling. Um, so it's still going to be an airfield, filled uh, black rubber hoop, but <laughs> in the future they're looking at things like tires that can adjust their own air pressure oh. independently, with built-in uh, compressors in the wheel. Looks very complex. That's, that's looking that's, a little bit further. Like
2: that. Didn't didn't Humvee have that?
1: Humvees, yeah, military vehicles, buses, mining vehicles, they all have that. But this is more for a a road car thing. So it's like it's miniaturized. Mm. It's not going to be running all the time or doing big pressure changes, but it'll pump your tires up when you're on the highway so you get wicked fuel economy, deflate them a little bit if you're on a twisty road so you get good handling. Cool. um, And just sort of self-adjust all the time. That's quite interesting.
0: Because you did test a system while you were out there that is a really clever take and a development evolution on ESC, didn't you?
1: Yeah, they, they had a smart ESC system, which again uses that cloud data transmission um, to see how much friction is on the road. So if it's been raining on one particular part of the state or whatever, uh, the roads might be slipperier. And so it gets data from other cars. So if another car goes through a corner and finds its stability controller is intervening a lot, that data will then get sent to a server, which then gets sent to every other car and says, that's so cool. watch out for this corner, it's a little bit slippery. And your car will then self-adjust its behavior to compensate for that. And we had a practical demo and it felt actually quite natural um, to go through this corner. And it just sort of slowed itself slightly and then just held this line through this very wet corner. Um, and all I had to do was drive it at 80 kilometers an hour and it sort of
0: and, and sorted it, itself out. So it knew that because of a car that had been through the corner previously and sent Yeah, there was another back.
1: vehicle ahead and it went through and it sort of had a little bit of a slide moment and then it kept on going. And then we did the same thing. And they, they had the display in the car like a development screen for the engineers and you could see the data that was sort of coming through it. And, uh, yeah, it's all very, very quick. And it just runs on a 4G um, mobile network. That's so
0: cool. Mm. What it other things good. can it mm. can it relay back? Like, really cool <laughs> kebabby up ahead. Uh, like, no police, for example. Go nuts in this bit. Like, can it relay all useful information like that as well? Um, I guess maybe not the thing about the police
1: well you know on the one
0: <laughs> hand you know you're looking at telegraph poles that can dob you in oh yeah you know well, i'm just looking at the anarchic end of the spectrum as well
1: <laughs> i don't think uh I don't think a German company does anarchy terribly well. <laughs> it's, it's, they like things it's to be organised.
2: It's funny you should mention that. I've, I've got to organise like a, a wheels road test for next week. Yeah. And uh, the search that I was looking in in Google was, where in Victoria is furthest from a police station? <laughs> <laughs> Just out of idle curiosity.
1: How many searches get performed for that? No, that No term. intent.
0: Oh, fantastic. The mm. insight into the preparation for a wheels comparison. Hmm. all of the key hmm. details don't tell the cops um Tony there's probably squillions more things oh that you God, came back with uh, yeah. but we sadly don't have time but we do have time to discuss one more thing before mm-hmm. we go um, and it relates to something that as that is is part of our job as motor journalists we are lucky enough to be invited every now and then on press launches for new cars and almost without exception, a part of that launch involves a drive, so we get yes. to, to develop our first impressions of the vehicle that's being launched. It doesn't always go to plan, and the drive element is not always that useful. Andy, what do you have to weigh in on this subject with?
2: Well, first, a, a couple of disclaimers. You know, normally these these events are extremely well run. We get time with the cars and that sort of thing. Um and Mazda are normally very, very good at these things. Yeah, um, absolutely. They've been on a lot of very, very good press launches with Mazda. Um, I've just come back from Germany, where I was driving the uh, CX-30 and the new Mazda 3 with the Skyactiv-X. Yeah. Clever compression, ignition, petrol engine. Um, and yeah i had a bit of a time of it uh it didn't help that I, i'd gone over there and like been seduced by the finger food on on the on the plane on the way over i, I couldn't leave the the cheese straws and the nuts alone you know everyone, never, everyone's never. everyone's come out of the the uh the the, the gentleman's room and and, and gone, oh, no. gone for the nuts yeah and uh <laughs> oh no yeah i got i got in a bit of a bad way oh, let's no. just say that and uh so I was, I was on the press drive it was it was a a hell of a drive it was we'd driven to the other side of the world to drive this car that we'd look forward to the sky active x yeah and it was a 30 kilometer test route and it what? went through nine speed cameras <laughs> like some of them in 30 kilometer an hour zone. so it was like doing the worst school run you've ever done um <laughs> and you're feeling really poor and you're Aww. fixated on on the uh the sat nav and the time and, uh, to destination. Yeah, <laughs> kilometers to destination. I had this Mazda person sitting next to me, and I, I just started sweating. You, you know, you get the cramps. You're turning oh. the, the aircon down. And I couldn't concentrate, and I was just driving faster and faster and faster, and then braking for the speed cameras like really violently when <laughs> when he was saying stop speed camera, and uh, I got I got to the end and just bolted into the uh, into the hotel whilst he was trying to show me the uh, boot space. So he was like <laughs> slightly crestfallen when he looked up and there was no one there. But uh, I think I think the worst aspect of this was, was uh, the next day there was there was a tour to Cologne. I, I couldn't go on it. I I went into my room. Oh, you were really uh, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, the PR girl from uh, Mazda, Sonia. She she was a star. She got me like electrolytes and things. Um, oh, but uh, I got out. I had a shower and I sort of wandered out the shower and was uh, feeling distinctly secondhand. There was a knock on the door. And about t- like a microsecond after the knock on the door, towel guy starts barging his oh, way into the kidding. room. Yeah, and I probably, with hindsight, I probably should have said no, stop. But all i could think of was to get the door shut so he he probably saw for a split second this large naked man running at the back of the door and i got my shoulder on it and I, he got his head just into the kill zone and uh, i hit him with the door and i heard him hit the um plasterboard on the other side of the corridor and he's just going sorry sorry for and those I, who've yeah. never met andy he's not a, he's not a small chap if he wants to close the door he will do it with sizable force <laughs> so, uh, he uh yeah he'd hit the deck and um he was apologising profusely. and you From know, the other side of the door? Yes, yes. <laughs> My blood was up. I'm, I'm yelling, I should bloody think so as well. And uh, then... Ten minutes later, I had a call from the hotel manager saying, you have injured one of our staffs. Oh, <laughs> I had to apologise. Apparently, I, I'd cut his uh, his uh, eyebrow a little bit. But, oh, uh, no. So, if, if you're listening, I'm very, very sorry. I'm deeply sorry for uh, getting you in the head with the door. But it's please, highly likely.
0: We do have a huge listenership yeah. in Germany. Yeah,
2: in, in, in Königstein, in Kaunas, <laughs> yeah. if you're listening out there. But, uh, yeah, it, next time, just leave... A Little bit longer before you uh, are be, it's, a, this it's a, is
1: all because some Mazda Europe PR person <laughs> plugged into Google places in Germany that are furthest from a toilet. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <While>
1: planning, <laughs> <try> for it. <laughs> <laughs> they put you a little bit closer, yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, I
0: relaxed. think it was them that spiked your snacks on the plane as well. So it's, have... it's probable,
2: yeah. <laughs> oh no it's biological warfare but uh yeah you know we've all we've all come a cropper on press drives in the past i'm sure yeah well there was one recently
0: i wasn't on this but there was one recently uh in new zealand bmw ran a a, a season of its alpine x drive mm. um and if, if you've ever been lucky enough to go to snow farm at the top of a mountain oh, uh, near queenstown yeah. in new zealand um it's wonderful it's it's an absolute it's a snow playground for cars it's wonderful um but this year there was no snow <laughs> so they turned up for the alpine x drive in these cars with snow tires on and it was completely thawed it was dirt nothing. farm yeah yeah it was just a lot of mud and rain yeah. so uh. so that was a bit of a that was a bit of a
1: fail on that part but you can, know not... can you insure against climate change couldn't bmw make a claim on that well, yeah yeah They, they would have spent a lot of money the, on this event the
0: that way was... that bmw insures for against climate change is start making electric cars i think is <laughs> the, yeah. the easiest way that's the way. long game yeah um, yeah. So yes, press car launches—they don't always go to plan, do they? Tony, have you got any experiences of, of failed, or not to the same sort of uh,
1: um, amplitude, I guess, as Andy or BMW? Uh, nothing's coming to mind in terms of true disasters. Well, what, about,
0: what about the the ultimate fail of a press car launch? Um, drive when there isn't a drive element. You know, that's.
1: Oh, that. I've, I've had that. Oh. Yes. One of that's the terrible. most interesting car launches, and you know, I'm doing the air, air conditioning marks there, uh, um, was for Proton. They were launching, I think it was the Suprema yes. uh, in Australia. And what they did was they. Sorry, I meant Suprema S. Suprema S. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. My, my apologies to Proton, wherever you are. Um, <laughs> There's another question. <laughs> very much absent. Um, <laughs> we, we did a launch in Sydney and they, they got all the journals together and then made us <laughs> embark a boat. Ah, <laughs> oh. We got on a boat. It went into the middle of Sydney Harbour. Uh-uh. We had dinner, and there was, like, some presentations and stuff. Was this a close approximation of the handling characteristics,
2: the think? <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> but then after a while, um, someone from Australian Idol came on, and not, not a winner. Uh,
0: <laughs> of, of course not. This is a proton launch we're <laughs> yeah. talking about. it uh, have <laughs> got a loser for you. Yeah. She,
1: she came up. She was a lovely singer. She, she came up and um, sang a song, and then a Suprema rose out of the deck. Like, there was a little trap door. With a platform on it, and wow. sat the car in it, and it sort of rose up out of the deck rather dramatically with some smoke effects and stuff, and um, and then we got a look at the car, and then the boat sailed back, and then we went to our hotels and went home. Oh.
0: So this <laughs> we didn't is, get to touch it. This is—it's uh, obvious what's going on here. Uh, Proton is doing everything it possibly could to make sure no one drove that car. Oh yeah. And to and the point where you know, if it had been a, if it had been a dry <laughs> land first viewing, someone might have been able to sneak off in it while mm. no one was looking. Well, the Google search there was. Place in New South Wales furthest from a road.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I flew all the way to Thailand to look at a Ford Ranger Raptor once. I think the worst ones, though, are these bait-and-switch press launches. You ever been on one of those? No, what's that? I remember once getting invited to a Hyundai Coupe press launch. So I sold this to my editor and all that, and the press launch consisted of like 10 kilometres in a Hyundai Coupe and about 300 kilometres in a Hyundai Amica. All oh, right, city car. It's <laughs> dreadful. We, I was, drove I, was on, I was on that with Bill Thomas, who's one of the bosses at uh, Hyundai now. um so, Bill, yeah, don't don't ever be tempted to do that again. <laughs> I, think, I think he was with me when I punched an ostrich in the head on that launch. How many things do you assault on the average? <laughs> we, we'd stopped at an ostrich farm, and I, I went to have my picture taken with this ostrich. It it leant over and pecked me really hard at the top of the head, and it, it, it sort of triggered this reaction to uh, <laughs> punch it.
0: Towel boys, ostriches—they're all the same. Note to oneself: never prompt the same response in Andy ever again. Never try and surprise him. Doesn't take it well. I'm a mild-mannered chap, generally. I, I I can't look. There's no. If we had another half hour for the podcast, we're never going to be able to beat that, are we? So that is a poignant moment to say, gentlemen, thank you very much for another wonderful catch-up. Go away and get wonderful other good news stories you can bring back to us for the podcast next week, or perhaps just go away. One or the other. Um, so Andy Enright and Tony Kane thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, my name is Daniel Gardner. Until next week, please feel free to stay in touch through all of the various social media channels. Whichcar.com.au is the only place you need to go. And in the meantime, do stay very safe on the road and don't do an Andy or punch anything in the head, no matter what it does to you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>